Hello, everyone. Miss you guys. Well, Merry Christmas. Um, maybe let's take this brief moment to say Merry Christmas to one another. I know we're going to be gathering uh, on Christmas Eve to do that, but why don't we do that? Maybe if you're joining us through live stream, maybe say Merry Christmas to one another too. But let's take some time in this room, turn to one another and say Merry Christmas. All right, um, let me read for us today's passage, and then we'll pray, and we're going to today's message. Uh, today's text is um, actually the same passage that uh, Nathan earlier used for his call to worship, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. It says, Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had uh, came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall name you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. There's the word of the Lord. Now let's pray together, and I'm going to our message together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this joyous occasion. Um, even uh, in the secular world, uh, this is a time of um, you know, festivity and uh, joy. Um, and perhaps there's a glimpse of what Christmas means, but we know the true meaning, the true joy, true celebration uh, is found in your scripture. So would you speak to us, use the scripture um, to awaken our hearts. Uh, this year has been truly unusual and uh, dismal, in many different ways, uh, but we know that you are sovereign and you can um, awaken our hearts to your hope, even through this time of Christmas. So help us, God. Uh, use me as your servant to deliver your word clearly and effectively for your glory. Help us to praise you and worship you together as a church, wherever we are right now. Praise you,
can add. Recently, I came across uh, this analogy on a podcast episode that I was listening to. And at first, I thought it was a little random, but I thought it captured uh, what we're experiencing this year pretty well. So it goes like this. Let's say you have dreamed about traveling to Italy and explore there your whole life. That's been your dream. So you've researched all the places to go to and study the history and, you know, et cetera. So you basically prepare your whole life uh, for this trip to Italy. I had such hope and excitement. And now you're finally on a plane to go to Italy. But then something happened uh, with the plane so that in the midair, it had to change the course and had to land in Netherlands instead. And in this analogy, you know, let's say there's no way for you to find alter, uh, alternative transportation to get to Italy. Uh, so all of a sudden, you are in Netherlands. You have to find, spend your vacation days in Netherlands, not in Italy. And now I've been to Netherlands before, but I know it's not a terrible place to be. But it's not Italy, right? Uh, but still, uh, you now have to be here and uh, find ways to enjoy your time in Netherlands. Uh, you have to scrap all your knowledge about Italy. Now you have to um, travel through Netherlands. And this analogy is meant to describe our experience um, this year, 2020. Because of the pandemic um, and many other subsequent causes, many of us uh, had to scrap our plans for Italy, so to speak, and had to uh, get used to Netherlands. And, uh, and that came with you know, many different inconveniences um, and perhaps for some of us some deep anguish. So disruptions uh, like this are often uh, unpleasant. But in today's passage, you know, the reason why I want to share this um, bit is because in today's passage, uh, this perhaps well-known you know, Christmas passage, we'll see and learn that God often uses, or better, brings disruptions in our lives for His good purposes. And we are to use uh, and accept them uh, for uh, His will. And that's what we're going to be learning, and um, we'll, we'll see that in the passage. I have three points for you. I'm just going to be following the the storyline of the passage. Uh, first point, the disruption. Second, the miracle. And the third, the obedience. Disruption, miracle, and the obedience. First, the disruption. Verse eight and eight, 18 and 19 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So at the outset of the story, we encounter Jesus' earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, and they run into quite a scandal right away. Mary has been betrothed to Joseph when Joseph finds out that she's pregnant and he seeks to 
divorce her. And now we have to understand a little bit about the Jewish marriage custom back then. Uh, back then, there were two main stages in marriage, betrothal and wedding ceremony. And, and right away, you might think that it's similar to our engagement and wedding routine, but not really. Uh, the betrothal was quite different from engagement. If an engagement is a guy taking a knee and you know, giving a diamond ring to a girl, and, and she says yes, and they change the status on their Facebook, and they start their you know, planning for, uh, for their marriage, for their wedding, if that's engagement in our understanding, then betrothal was actually a formal legal agreement between two families. And at betrothal, actually, they would be signing this document, which is basically a marriage certificate. So after betrothal, the couple would be considered married on paper. And from there, until the public wedding ceremony, the couple uh, would live separately to prepare themselves for the wedding banquet. Especially, they would keep their sexual purity at that time. And on the wedding day, the groom would finally take the bride into their, his home, and the marriage would be consummated. And now this background explains why, in our passage, Joseph is already called husband and Mary wife, uh, even during their betrothal period. And this also ex- explains why Joseph seeks to divorce Mary. Again, on paper, they were already married, and, and since you know, Joseph did not sleep with Mary yet, uh, and she's pregnant, so this just means that she committed adultery against Joseph with someone else. And you know, Matthew explains to us readers that this conception was happened by the Holy Spirit, but Joseph doesn't know that yet. And even if Mary said that to him to ex- explain what happened, he would have had hard time ex- you know, accepting this explanation, considering that as an excuse to condone her action. So now, that's what happened, and, and here, interestingly, Matthew tells us that you know, Joseph is not doing all these things, divorcing or considering divorce, all these things, because he's a merciless jerk to Mary. Quite the contrary, actually. Uh, Matthew says, Joseph is a just or a righteous man. It means that he's a godly man who takes uh, God's law seriously, and he wants to buy, buy it and do what is right by God's law. And, of course, in Old Testament, especially Deuteronomy prescribes that when a husband finds indecency in his wife, he's to divorce her. And some of us, you know, in this modern period might find this law rather harsh. Uh, but it shows, another way to look at it is, this, show, this shows, this, the, the law shows that um, God and the law takes uh, commitment and purity in marriage seriously, very serious, to the point that um, that harshness is found in this way. So, so Joseph is about to, you know, abide by the law uh, and go ahead with the divorce. But uh, Matthew also describes Joseph as a man of compassion. You know, according to the law, uh, Joseph had a choice to make the divorce public, uh, and that way Joseph could be vindicated by the people in, in the village and 
And one commentator says the husband could even get his dowry money back from his wife's family if it's public. But you see, this would mean, if Joseph took this route, uh, this would mean the, the shame-based first century Jewish society would cancel Mary as an adulterer, and they could even stone her to death. So instead, Joseph, in the passage, chooses to divorce Mary quietly to spare her from the shame. And in fact, the the book of Numbers, chapter 5, gives an option of having only two witnesses in the divorce. And and again, this would mean uh, that it's quiet, but Joseph wouldn't get any dowry money back. And he was sacrificing that in that sense. So here, what's happening, if you've been following with me, what's happening is that uh, in this traveling situation, Joseph is, in fact, displaying the character of God. Meaning, God is righteous and his law is holy. But at the same time, God is uh, infinitely merciful willing to cover our shame, like we saw uh, when Pastor John preached on Genesis 3, where he literally covers Adam and Eve's nakedness with animal skin. That's who God is. Likewise, Joseph chooses to treat his woman with respect and dignity while you know, seeking to do what is right according to God's law. And now before we move on, I would like us to pause and immerse ourselves in the story a little more, especially in Joseph's shoe. You see, before this whole ordeal, uh, Joseph's life was supposed to be normal, right? He was supposed to move on and have a festive and memorable wedding ceremony and congratulated by his loved ones. And he was supposed to move on from there and have a good marriage with Mary and have beautiful children of his own with Mary. But all of a sudden, Joseph is about to be a divorcee at the age of 18, which was the average age for males to get married at the time, quite early. And likewise, for us too, we may expect, you know, subconsciously anyway, that our lives is supposed to turn out normal. Right? We're supposed to have certain you know, milestones in our lives from college to retirement age. And, and this year, we were not supposed to have pandemic. And some of us, you're, you're not supposed to lose your internship, you know, career opportunities you know, for maybe freshmen, especially campus experience. You're not supposed to lose you know, holiday you know, festivities with your family. And for Minnesota, you're not supposed to miss out on state fair this year, right? This was not supposed to happen. But it happened. And what, ha- what we witnessed in the story of Joseph is that when this disruptions and disorientation of life happens, this, is mean to, this, this means to test what we are made of in our character. So Joseph was pushed to have God-centered attitude when he had to make that difficult decision. And so should we. Uh, Deb and I have been watching this uh, old TV show uh, called 
Downton Abbey recently, and and I'm heartbroken by this story, the way how the story is going, because the two of the main characters are in love, and after much romantic tug of war between them, they finally acknowledge their love for one another, and they get engaged and they get married in the most romantic way possible. And I was almost crying when, when those things were happening. But then, in the next season, the guy dies. He dies. And I'm like, what? That's absurd. They just had the most romantic story ever. And now he's, he's dead. I almost stopped watching the show because I was so heartbroken. But then I realized, I, I kept watching and I realized that after the death, the girl, now a widow, her character starts developing. She now has to overcome her sorrow and she has to allow herself to make mistakes and grow in her resilience and inner beauty. She's growing because of the disruption. Likewise, the seemingly tragic curveball, so to speak, in Joseph's life and ours uh, is there to challenge us to grow and show godly character. The the disruption. Second, the miracle. So the story goes on, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So despite Joseph's good intentions, God interrupts uh, David's plan, or Joseph's plan. The angel confirms to Joseph that Mary's pregnancy is not of human cause, let alone by an adultery, but the fetus in her womb was conceived by the Spirit of God. This was a miracle of virgin conception. So the baby to be born was someone totally extraordinary, since no other babies are ever conceived like this. So Angel goes on to identify this baby by his two names. First name, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is a Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means God saves. So this name obviously signified that the baby was to save or deliver his people from their troubles. And that was good news. At the time, Israelites were suffering under Roman rule. So they were expecting uh, liberation or rather political and military liberation. And, And us too, we may long for liberation from, you know, different misery and inconveniences that we're experiencing right now in our lives in different circumstances. But the angel in the passage specifies that this baby is to save them from their sins because sin is the root cause of all other issues in our lives. Unless sin is dealt with, all other saving is simply band-aid solutions to human misery. 
So the baby to be born would fundamentally then liberate his people from their various struggles. You see, the virgin conception then shows that Jesus is indeed the perfect candidate to be the savior from sins. Because again, the name Jesus means God saves. And the, the, the angel says Jesus will save, meaning Jesus is God who came to save. So being fully God, Jesus had to be conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, not by human sexual union. But at the same time, Jesus is fully human, so he was conceived in a human mother's womb. And being fully human, what that means is that Jesus can die as a sacrifice for other human sins, while at the same time being fully God, he could die for the whole humanity and their sins. And that's what he did on the cross. You know, whoever believes in Christ who died on the cross is saved from um, the righteous wrath of God for their sins. And also, the virgin conception means that we can be saved only by the supernatural work of God. No humans can somehow save themselves by moral acts, good education, uh, good political system, etc. Even the righteous Joseph in this passage cannot save himself. It takes God supernaturally entering the human world in this extraordinary way and deal with human sins. So that's what Christmas means and that's what the name Jesus conveys, that he is the perfect savior for us, for our sins. But that's not all there is in, in Angel's message. The angel gives one more name to the baby. And by the way, uh, many scholars agree that the angel's words continue through verse 23, unlike the English translations that uh, end the, the quotation at verse 21, just FYI. So the angel continues on. So please follow with me. He gives another name to Jesus. Verse 22 and 23, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So the name is Emmanuel, God with us. It comes out of Isaiah 7, 14. And so it would be helpful for us to pause and understand the context of Isaiah. Uh, back then at the time, the southern kingdom of Judah under King Ahaz was in great trouble. The northern kingdom of Israel teamed up with the nation Syria to wipe out Judah. And the text says Ahaz and the people of Judah were shaking like trees in fear. But then the prophet Isaiah, representing God, comes to Ahaz and assures him that Judah will be delivered from these two nations. But often, the book of Isaiah goes beyond the immediate situation to tell us readers what God will ultimately do for his people. So that's what's happening in this passage in Matthew, that this prophecy of miracle that was first meant for Ahaz and Judah 
it is pointing towards Jesus, the virgin conceiving the baby. Um, and, and he is showing us that God indeed is with his people, that he has not abandoned or forgotten them in their troubles, but he has come to save us from our ultimate enemy, again, our sins. In other words, Christmas is a proof that God is faithful to his commitment towards us, his people, and that he is with us and for us in all of our grave troubles when we are shaking like trees, like Judah. Interestingly, if you go all the way to the end of Matthew, Matthew ends his book with these words, Jesus saying to his disciples, he says, I will be with you to the end of the age. He's emphasizing from beginning to the end of the book, God is with us always, especially in our troubles. And I think we can apply this to ourselves this way. For me personally, uh, if I'm honest with with myself and with you, uh, when I try to assess how I've been doing um, this past months in light of the pandemic, I have to admit that my anxiety level has gone up pretty high. And I'm sure there are many different factors. It could be my lack of physical exercise, which I'm definitely guilty of. But I think the main factor for me is the increased time with my computer and my phone. Meaning, you know, I do all my meetings on Zoom now, and I do more shopping online and you know, all my work is on my computer. And I do spend a little more time on social media these days. And I think what this, this pattern of life does is it trains my psyche to think that I'm in control of my world. Meaning, I conveniently dip in and dip out of my meetings with people on Zoom. And if I need something, what do I do? I go to Amazon. And if I need some socializing, I go to social media. It's almost as if, you know, in my world, and my world is confined into a screen, and in that world, I can plan, execute, and entertain myself, all for my convenience. You know, since I'm my own God and my own Savior, so to speak. And the, the consequence of this pattern, obviously, is that the place of true God, the place of God is getting smaller. He's no longer my savior in my daily life. So that when troubles come, for example, for me, maybe when I get emails that indicate that I'm in trouble, I have a problem I have to sort out, I really notice um, that physically I've been getting like chest pain, like my upper chest starts throbbing and, you know, my heart starts beating fast. And the reason is because I have to figure that out through my screen. I am the captain of my ship. And because I'm my own savior, it's all on me. And that gives me a huge burden and anxiety that I'm never meant to carry. But then when I hear in this passage, in this Christmas message, that God is with me, that God is a Savior that changes my paradigm, 
It's as if someone closed my screen and pulled my head to look at the sky to realize that God, there's a God over me. Or no, that God is with me. He is the Savior. He's the one that can ultimately deal with my troubles. And therefore I must and I can give all my burdens to Him. I should. Emmanuel, Jesus, that God is with us and He's the Savior. Christmas is supposed to bring us to our knees, humbly acknowledging who truly is the Savior, and at the same time, it's supposed to bring us to green pasture where we can experience the peace and freedom from you know, our burdens and our fears taken away. That is Christmas. That is the truth that we must come back to. So the miracle. And third and last, the obedience. Verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife and knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So in obedience to God's word delivered through the angel, Joseph does things that are rather inconvenient and even costly. First, He embraces Mary as his wife despite her pregnancy. Second, after the wedding, he chooses not to have sexual union with Mary until the baby is born so that it will be crystal clear that the conception was God's doing and not his. And by the way, of course, knowing someone in the passage is a euphemism, biblical euphemism for having sex, as you might have guessed. And then lastly, um, Joseph names the baby Jesus, like the angel told him so. Uh, naming a child is a parent's prerogative, isn't it? You know, especially back then. So by naming the baby, Joseph was accepting the baby to be his own. In other words, he was adopting the baby to be his son because he's not his biological father. And now, we have to realize that there is a significant consequence to Joseph's obedience. That is, Jesus is now considered a part of King David's line. Why? Back in verse 20, the angel called Joseph what? Son of David. Because Joseph was physically descendant of King David. And now by the virtue of Joseph's adoption, Jesus is in his earthly lineage, son of David. And this what fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah would come from David's line. You see what's happening here is that Joseph's costly obedience helped advance God's will. And here, of course, God being sovereign, he didn't have to use Joseph's obedience. He could have advance his will with, even without his obedience. But when Joseph obeyed, God chose to use it to bring about his will. And that's what Joseph's obedience did. And, and 
really quick here. Um, the obedience stems from our faith, right? It's not just doing, but for Joseph, because he trusted God's character, that he's a savior, Emmanuel, Jesus, that he is good in his doing. So out of that faith and trust, he was able to obey uh, God's word and do things that are inconvenient. So Joseph obeyed from his heart. When I was in college, you know, I was involved in the college ministry there, and uh, and I was a part of this summer missions program for several years. And, and one year, uh, I actually went overseas um, through the program, but in other years, I actually stayed in the U.S. and served as a prayer partner uh, to those who were going overseas. And in one of those years, I was a prayer partner to a friend of mine who was going to Africa that summer. And I went to uh, the Chicago O'Hare Airport to see him off uh, this one day. And I don't remember why, how this happened, but right before the team had to go to the security, the team leader uh, said that the, the members could no longer bring any valuables on the trip. So my friend turned to me and uh, he gave me you know, his thick wallet, phone, and a few other you know, valuables and asked me to keep it safe until he comes back. And at that, my hands started shaking. Because the wallet was thick, it had his credit cards and all his valuables. And, and I asked him, are you sure you trust me with all this? And to my surprise, my friend didn't waste a second to tell me, saying that, um, I trust you with my life. And then he took off. And I don't know whether he really meant it. I don't know if he just said it because he had, had no other choice at the time. Um, but I think what he said really struck me and stuck with me, thinking, man, he, he really trusts me like that? Like, how did that happen? And then and I realized, you know, during our college years, you know, we had been good friends for sure. You know, we uh, hung out quite a bit. But especially as career partners, you know, we you know, spent quite a bit of time together sharing about our faith and you know, praying for each other. And that must have, you know, contributed to him building trust in me. And he was able to entrust me with uh, his valuables, with relative ease. And as a result, you know, he was able to focus on missions in Africa. And apparently he had a really good trip um, in Africa. And now, in our relationship with God, we also are to build trust in God, right? As we commune with him. Trust, faith is not just intellectual thing, conceptual thing that we store somewhere in our brain. But trust is supposed to bring us to an action because of what we know of God. And because we really trust in our hearts about His character, again, Emmanuel, Jesus, and we should be willing to give up even our wallets, so to speak, like my friend. Did. And, and what the Bible is saying is that when we do that, just like he did with Joseph, God can use it to further his will and his kingdom in the world. That we could be part of salvation history like Joseph. And I'm saying this because 
I know uh, some of us have to make some big career and school decisions in the upcoming months and years. Uh, but apart from these special cases, in fact, all of us have to make decisions and choices every day, right? That have certain consequences. The question is, would we in faith act in obedience and put God first? Even if that means it costs us, it you know, gives us inconvenience, and even risking of our fortune and lives. Would we obey? So in closing, again, we ask the question. So what do we do when we land in Netherlands, not in Italy? What do we do when we're in pandemic, when we're supposed to be having our, you know, spending our time with other better days? What do we do? When disruptions happen, what do we do? And from this message, from this passage, we see that when those things, those things happen, we are to see that as God-given opportunity to examine our hearts, trust the Emmanuel, and act in obedience. And to me, that's sort of a surprising uh, lesson from this passage, because I, I thought I would be getting just the typical Christmas lesson. But indeed, I believe that's what the Word of God is saying in this passage, that we are to grow in our obedience as we reflect upon uh, what Joseph did in response to Revelation. May that be the case for us as well in this Christmas season. Let's pray. Let's take some time just reflecting upon the Word of God uh, that coincides with uh, uh, Christmas that we celebrate every year. What is Christmas? Beyond you know, gift giving, beyond you know, all these good things that we can redeem for God's glory. A resounding message, resounding lesson that God is giving us is that disruptions is what Christmas is. God disrupted Joseph and humanity with Christmas. Putting a stop onto our routine, our feeble expectations and standards that we have of our lives. That some things are supposed to happen with our lives. But Christmas happened showing us that we're not our Savior. Christ is. And as we rest in Him, God is calling us to really embrace this disruption, disorientation, this tension, and grow in submission, surrender, obedience. So why don't we um, just search our hearts and let God convict us about what it means us, what it means for us to obey Him in response to the revelation of Christmas. Let's pray together and, and I'll close for us in a moment.
Heavenly Father, um, thank you for your word and especially the message of Christmas that you did not leave us alone in our own world of screen, our world of uh, me, myself, and I, and continue on in our destruction. But that you have uh, awoken us and that you have given us the reality of who you are, the reality of who your son is. Lord, truly this year we have encountered many disruptions and they inevitably cause many anguish, frustration, many tears perhaps for some of us. But help us know that your love for us is seeped through those disruptions that you are changing us, that you are bringing us back to you. So just do that, God, um, as we go through Christmas, as we uh, re-embrace and um, reflect upon uh, your gift of your Son to us. Praise Jesus. Can we just uh, very briefly take a moment to pray uh, Christmas just a few days away? Uh, let's pray that no matter who we spend our Christmases with, that it can be a blessing. And uh, may the blessing really come from our internalization of what God is doing in our lives and in this world uh, through Jesus Christ. And, uh, as we live out the message that we heard today, uh, we can be a blessing to others through our life testimony. So can we just pray that for a moment, no matter who we're spending our time with this Christmas time throughout this week that we can demonstrate uh, God's purpose and the incarnate Christ uh, and display that through our lives. Let's pray that for a moment and I'll close us in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a reminder to us uh, of uh, I guess the blueprint of your just how you work in this world, in this fallen world where uh, disruptions are happening all the time and uh, unexpected things that are coming into our lives. How you're using all of that in the middle of that to accomplish your plan that is good, that is perfect how you're calling us for obedience to trust in you out of faith knowing that that is how you work to not only bring Jesus into this world not only to accomplish salvation to the cross but how you're actually applying that in people's lives as we live out uh, a life of obedience in the crazy disruptions that we face in our lives thank you for the reminder of that help us to live that out as we cherish the gospel message in our hearts. Just many unthinkable disruptions and scandals and 
and um, difficulties that your people are going through. We pray for your presence, Emmanuel, God with us, that you would be so near them and that you would comfort them with your sovereign grace in amazing ways and that in that supernatural love and care that we would have the strength and power to live out a life of faithfulness, obedience to you, knowing that beyond what is seen, we can look to the unseen with eyes of faith, believing that that is what will bring most glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that strengthens our hearts, that enables us to persevere, to seek you, and to, to live out our lives for the glory of your name. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love, the perfect love of the Father God, the fellowship and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people, both now and forever. Amen.